Hey, Warrior, if you're enjoying everything you're hearing on this podcast, imagine meeting with me every week. Women across the country are joining the Warrior Women Mastermind, a 12-week experience in a small curated group of women hand-selected just for you. Whether you're feeling stuck, afraid to use your voice, not making the money you want, or just feeling uh, meh, come join us. The Warrior Women Mastermind is the boost you need. Connection, accountability, and women you'll love. Schedule your call with me to learn more. The link is in the show notes, or you can go to lizswadick.com. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Hello, warriors. Today we are deep diving into mental health, therapy, and dissociation. Dissociation can occur on many levels, and most people don't realize they're doing it all the time. In less severe forms, it can mean watching Netflix and scrolling on your phone as a way to avoid pain. In more severe cases, it can involve diagnoses like dissociative amnesia and dissociative identity disorder, formerly known as multiple personality disorder. My guest today is an expert in this space, is a respected and sought after trauma specialist and is here to tell us that dissociation is not a dirty word. Mental health is changing and the way we address it must change as well. I love this conversation. Please share it with the women in your circle. If you have a guest or topic you want us to cover on the show, please DM us at warriorwomenpod on Instagram. Okay, let's get into it. 66,436 people in Los Angeles County are experiencing homelessness. That's a 12.7 increase from the previous year of 58,000 in 2019. Within just the city of LA, 41,290 homeless people were counted. That's a 14.2% increase from the previous year. Well, that's where everyday action comes in. Everyday Action is a 501c3 nonprofit organization working to reallocate the food on film sets directly to those living on the streets of Los Angeles. Founded and run by two assistant directors, donating leftover food from production has never been easier. You give them the call sheet and they do the rest. They employ production assistants and background actors as pickup and drop-off coordinators while in between jobs. And their board members are working professionals who work in the entertainment industry and volunteer sectors. All of us together can make a huge difference in the lives of LA's most vulnerable people. Donate now to be part of the change. Go to everydayaction.org. That's everydayaction.org. Let's bring the people who are the most vulnerable a beautiful meal. Hello, everybody. Today on the show, we have Dr. Jamie Marich. She describes herself as a facilitator of transformative experiences, a clinical trauma specialist, expressive artist, writer, yogini, performer, short filmmaker, 
Reiki master, TEDx speaker. I've never had this much of an amazing person on my show. I can't even take it. And recovery advocate. And she unites all of these elements in her mission to inspire healing in others. She began her career as a humanitarian aid worker in Bosnia from 2000 to 2003, primarily teaching English and music while freelancing in other projects. Jamie travels internationally teaching on topics related to trauma, EMDR therapy, expressive arts, mindfulness, and yoga while maintaining a private practice and online education operation at her home base of Northeast Ohio. Jamie is the author of numerous books on trauma recovery and healing with many more projects in the work. She is the founder of the Institute for Creative Mindfulness and Jamie's latest book, Dissociation Made Simple, A Stigma-Free Guide to Embracing Your Dissociative Mind and Navigating Life is now available for pre-order and you know that is going to be a hot, hot ticket. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jamie. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. And thank you for your enthusiasm. And the book is now out. That oh, it's out. Of the bio. Yeah, that was out before. Came out January 10th. So you okay, heard it. So that's amazing. Okay, so it's out. It's out in the world. It is. Yes. Okay, well, I will be ordering my copy. So yay me. Jamie, I was so excited that you were willing to come on this podcast because I know for a fact how busy you are because I looked all over your website and I see all the things you're doing and all the people who have like a wait list to work with you. So I'm really grateful you're here. I heard your interview on Therapy Chat, the podcast Therapy Chat, which I just, I love that damn podcast. I really do. And you brought up the fact that therapists are starting to realize that it's okay to share parts of their personal healing journey. In essence, that it's okay to be human. Isn't that amazing, Dr. Jamie? Imagine um, that, right? Tell me, because I'm a coach and I actually do share a lot about my life because I feel like it's really, really helpful to other women. So tell me, why do you think it's important that therapists share some of their life too? Because we're human. I know we've kind of made the joke about it already. Uh, I, I think the therapy is fundamentally about human connection. There are others who see it differently. There are others who look at it more as a science, more as a collection of techniques. Yet I know any therapy that has worked for me has involved a high degree of human connection, person to person. I want to know that there is a real person sitting there with me who may not get my exact struggle, but gets what it's like to be human and is not afraid to admit it. Believe it or not, this shocks a lot of members of the general public. That goes against a lot of how we're trained in graduate education. It's very much about being the blank slate. Don't show so much of yourself. And yes, while I think it's important to have boundaries, uh, appropriate therapeutic professional boundaries, some teachers are so rigid about their applications of them, it shuts off any potential for that healing human connection. Yeah. And I think that's that's the bottom line right there right? It's not that you, and and there's appropriate sharing and not, right? Like you're not coming into your patient's you know world and telling them every little story in the world. But if there's something that really could make the difference in their healing journey by that you share, that would be incredible. Exactly. And it's important that you don't make it all about you, that it's not your space to work out your stuff. And even a lot of the ways I use my own healing journey is to be able to share with my heart something from a client without directly saying, oh yeah, I experienced that too. Rather to be able to just share something that's informed by lived experience. So sometimes I lean into that yet. I say most times I lean into that yet. There are other times where a very strong, I relate 
with just a little bit of disclosure makes all the difference because so many people coming in for therapy think they are some unique brand of crazy, terrible, awful, deformed. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no way this professional sitting across from me who has her shit together could possibly know. I mean, first of all, I want to smash any myths that therapists have their shit together because I've met very few stutter yeah. children for that. I think a lot of us have learned how to function and how to survive and even thrive. And I know that my, my world is a lot more peaceful of a place than it was many, many years ago, yet I'm still navigating the human experience for myself. Yeah. Uh, and really, does anyone have it together? Cause I've yet to meet that person. And if you find that person, Dr. Jamie, please point them my way uh, with you hundred percent. Let's talk about you. What would you like to share with us about your journey? Because you've been on an amazing journey to this point of your life. Wow. Uh, it's been, I, I, I'm going to, cause there's so much I can share about it. So I'm going to go with the title of your podcast as inspiration here for how I learned that as a woman, despite what a lot of the culture I was raised in told me, I am a person of value. I have worth and I am a warrior. Uh, and the greatest battle I've had to fight is this thing called life. And I know growing up, I won't get into the whole finesse of my trauma narrative, but I will say a lot of bullying was involved. A lot of spiritual abuse and trauma was involved. Uh, I grew up with two highly religious parents who did not know what to do with me as a queer child that was already showing feminist tendencies. Yeah. They were like, where do we put this person in our narrative? That does not work. So I, I did a lot of repressing and holding back and engaging in self-injury at very young age to begin doing that. And then eventually when drugs and alcohol became more accessible to me, that became a big part of my story, which helped to amplify a lot of other dissociative experiences and behaviors I was engaging with just to deal. And I remember the, the, re the first real formative healing figure in my life was a woman named Janet Leff, who was an American social worker that served in Bosnia, Herzegovina following the war in uh, the war was 91 to 95. And then I lived in Croatia where my family's from and the Croatian part of Bosnia from 2000 to 2003. I went there after my graduate, not my graduate, my undergraduate degree, because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And in addition to graduating from college with a diploma, I also graduated with a pretty strong substance use disorder and a lot of unhealed trauma and dissociation. So uh, I ran away to Europe to, to try to find work and find myself. And initially it was very much a geographically motivated cure. Let me just get out of here. Yet I really needed to do that. And it was there that I met Janet, who was weirdly enough from Ohio, which is where I'm from, but it took us being in Bosnia to meet. So she was the one who validated my experiences with addiction and inva invalidated the idea that. I too had unhealed trauma that I was trying to work through and, and address. And I remember after she was privy to this very traumatic meltdown I had in my job setting there, she was the one who told the priest who was my boss, like, this is not a young girl being difficult. This is a traumatic meltdown. Let me take it from here. And after she put the cold rag on my head and got me resting and got me deactivated or 
in, in a reasonable state of equilibrium, that's when she started saying that was a trauma response, what you experienced. And, and at that point, I had only heard of trauma in the context of PTSD and things that veterans or that people who went through war experienced. And one of my jobs over there was working with children who, who had survived the war. And she said, Jamie, would you consider that maybe the war zone was your house? And maybe Skid Row, which is the association you've always had with alcoholics and addicts, was your bedroom, where the bars that you hung out with on campus, that addiction and mental health problems and trauma could take on various different shapes. And that was really when my healing journey began in earnest, when she gave me a lot of that vocabulary to start helping my life make sense. And then after I was sober about two years, I came back at her directive to do a graduate degree in counseling, even though I thought it was a horrible idea to start with. And it was when I was in my graduate program that I ended up having the other side of my mental health struggles validated and verified, which is the dissociative disorder that I experienced. And even when I got that diagnosis, my whole life and internal world made sense. And so my my life since then has been a series of, of ups and downs and battles that I, but I will say overall, I live a life today that I enjoy. I'm comfortable in my own skin. I'm stepping more into a feeling or an experience of authenticity. I'm more empowered to speak out about things I believe in, not being so afraid of what other people think. Going towards drugs and alcohol is not even an option for me anymore. And yeah, I, I still fight an occasional craving here or there, but that's the idea. I know how to address them when they come up. And yeah, every year has brought some huge challenge to my life. It, it's I never want to tell anybody who gets sober or who gets their mental health together. And now life will be amazing. Because even though in a lot of ways it is, life yeah. still is life. Yeah, life is and lifey. We'll give you something to that you got to bring out that warrior part in you about to handle it every year, at least, if not more frequently. Yeah. Every year, I, I always say it's it's a, it's not a midlife crisis. It's sort of like a, a reinvention where you have to get, be like, oh, yeah, I have tools. Wait, hold on. There's some coming out. I have tools. Wait, where are they? <laughs> you know, just, wait, not, I, I put them down for a minute because I thought I was fine. Let me get mm-hmm. my tools, you know. So it, it, but half the time I love to convince myself I don't have any. Like right. I go, I get down I'm down a certain road and I start going into my mind fuckery and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, hold it, wait, I've done this before. I know what this <laughs> is, you know, like it's so it's really it's very funny. Um, let's take talk about dissociation, which I now know is dissociation versus disassociation, which is what I thought it was, Doctor Jamie. So thank you for <laughs> figuring helping me figure that out. So we're going to talk about dissociation and your book, Dissociation Made Simple. You. You say dissociation is not a dirty word. And how do we know we're doing it? Because believe it or not, everybody, we all do this. Oh, yeah. Most of us, at least. And one of the reasons that a book chapter is called dissociation is not a dirty word is in the therapeutic professions, even let alone in society. There's this idea that dissociating is bad, that if a client starts to dissociate during a session, it means you, you got to get them out of it. You, you got to bring them back into reality because dissociation is bad. Dissociation is actually rather neutral. If left unhealed or unaddressed, of course, it can get people into challenging situations. It can cause behavioral consequences. Yet for so many survivors of trauma, especially early childhood developmental trauma, dissociation is a lifeline. It is the reason we survive. And in a lot of ways, it's the reason we thrive. So dissociation simply means to sever or to separate. 
it's comes from a Latin root word meaning that to sever or to separate. And it was starting probably like the late 1900s is when it was started to be used more as a psychological construct to refer to this thing that humans do when they're overwhelmed and their brain enters some state of collapse. A lot of people have experienced dissociation more as a freeze. This tendency we can have to zone out, to daydream, to go to devices like our phone or drinking or Netflix or so many, there's so many dissociative aids out there that can help us sever or separate. So what is it we're severing or separating from? It's the present moment because the present moment is overwhelming. The present moment is too much. The present moment is painful. So we all dissociate. Even as I was going through some of those examples, I'd ask you to consider how many times you've done those things. Maybe even how many times in the last month or week you've done those things. And a lot of them are are rather innocuous. Like scrolling on the phone is an interesting one because many, especially survivors of dissociative disorders will say when I'm out there in public or if I'm at a tricky family event, Going on the phone can actually be a lifeline for me to keep me from getting overwhelmed or totally like losing my stuff as I hear people talk about certain things around me. Now, can you take escaping in the phone to an excess? Of course, where it's keeping you up all hours of the night, keeping you from attending to your life responsibilities. The same thing with binging a show on Netflix or any of your favorite streaming services. I do it almost every night. It's a big part of my wind down ritual. But I would say for me, it is not a problem because it helps me actually just be there and let my body rest instead of the go, go, go. And I would argue if I took on one more project or did more work, that would actually be more problematically dissociative, taking me out of my emotions and feelings and sensations and all of that. So we're, we're all a lot of people conceptualize dissociation as a continuum that it can be on a rather innocuous end to a more severe end. But I would say that even people who can dissociate more severely where they might get lost because they've forgotten time or they've lost their, their sense of of self and being in the world, it's still serving some kind of purpose. And I do work with a lot of those types of clients to you know, help us get to know the internal world a little better. Now, the other way that dissociation can kind of show up, and it's talked a lot about clinically now, is the notion of parts, that people can sever or separate from aspects of self. And a lot of survivors of various kinds of abuse experience that happen where a different part in the brain will essentially sever off and take more of the experience to keep the rest of the brain and the rest of the self protected. And Many people with dissociative disorders have very intricately developed part systems, and this is what the general public has largely thought of as multiple personality disorder, now called dissociative identity disorder. Um, Yet you don't have to experience parts separation at that level for you to be able to do work with parts. And even in the, the helping professions now, there's more acceptance that as human beings, we all have different parts of our experience. And if you've ever thought of yourself in the terms of, well, there's a part of me that wants to get clean and there's a part of me that doesn't or get sober and a part of me that doesn't. There's there's a part of me that wants to keep trying and keep persisting. And there's a part of me that just wants to give it all up. 
that's an example of where you're experiencing some dissociation and where we can do some subtle parts exploration. So there's a lot of things dissociation is and a lot of different ways it can show up, but that's a little bit of my one-on-one take on it. Yeah. I appreciate that because I think that, you know, I think people go to the most extreme example, right? They're not thinking of their Netflix moment or their right. you know, glass of wine as one of those examples. They're thinking, oh no, I have to have like, you know, different personalities yeah. coming out. They, 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 I think they think of like movies or what, what they've seen. Right. They don't think mm-hmm. of like, you know, those everyday examples, like you're saying of when you're just exactly. really, you're just needing a break Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you really want to separate. You want to cut everything off because it's just, you've been through too much. And in your past, you, that was your way of also coping maybe Mm -hmm. through some really not great moments. So I appreciate you explaining that. So I watched your Ted talk and how you were speaking about how we celebrate people Mm. who keep going even when they're hurt. And I was like, I literally was like, my eyes were like this big. I was like, oh my God, we do do that. You use the analogy of a soccer player who scores despite an injury. And of course we cheer that person on their bloody leg and they still scored and amazing. You're amazing. We don't want to ask for help. In fact, the majority of women that I coach, that is like the last thing, you know, that they want to ask for. They do not want to ask for help. So, and that's what we need, obviously. So how do we change that narrative? Because that is like, especially for women, I found, I mean, I'm sure men too, but for women, I found they, we don't want to ask for help. We want to do it all. And we don't want to, we don't want help because we think it makes us a champion. Mm -hmm. Well, I think part of why that narrative is hard to change is societally, we celebrate it when people can push through. Yeah. Yeah. And there is a lot of this messaging that if you do have to stop, or if you do have to ask for help, you're weak. And I've seen some subtle changes in that area yet. Unfortunately, there's still strongholds where that messaging persists. And so I think for a lot of people, it's, it's difficult to ask that because they've been shamed for it. And I think the way we change that is more of us, especially those of us in higher profile positions have to come out saying, yes, it's cool to seek. It's, to admit your vulnerabilities. It's one like when people do the whole, oh, Jamie, you do so much. I make no secret about the fact. And the reason is because I'm very candid with myself and others about the fact that I am simply a person in recovery who's doing what I feel I need to do. And a lot of that has meant asking for help. You know, a lot of people regard and revere what I do by being a professional and a publicish figure who's out about my struggles. A lot of people are threatened by it, I know, or a lot of people don't like it. Yet the reason that I do it is I want to send a message to others, especially those who might follow my work, that it's okay. And I'm not this way with this reach because I have all my shit together, as we were talking about earlier. It's because I, I still see a therapist. I still see a coach and have, have helpers as they are needed spiritual teachers that come up here and there. And I give them the credit for helping me to, to thrive in this world. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have a, I'm a coach. I have a coach. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I've had therapists on and off through my life. And I think, you know, I'm always telling people I'm part of a healing team. 
You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not looking to get rid of somebody that you're already using. I, you know, I, I'm happy to come right on board as part right. of your team. And I think truthfully, that's the kind of new paradigm shift people need to make is mm-hmm. that, you know, it's not that you have to be like, well, I have this therapist or I can have this coach. I think there's a you know, a lot of times I have women in my group that say, that's just exactly what my therapist said. And I'm like, exactly, because we <laughs> we're saying the same thing. We're just we're doing it in different ways and we have different modalities. But we we both are we're, we're both for you <laughs> uh, being the healthiest, and most amazing you. So it's funny. I, I, I love to work with people who are in therapy because to me, it makes my job easier. There's less me of yep. me convincing them <laughs> about the path to them getting what they want. And I'm smiling and laughing as you're saying that, because I, this was in one of my earlier books, a, a moment I had with my brother, who's now a Roman Catholic priest. We, we have a close relationship. He's been a big part of my healing story. And when I first moved back from Europe, we were talking a lot about another great potential healing helper is a spiritual director. Cause I've had oh, yeah. spiritual directors over the years and it's an important part for a lot of the devout, devoutly faithful to have a spiritual director. And had, he had asked me at one point, like, well, who's your spiritual director? And I said, well, I have an AA sponsor. I have a therapist. And I was kind of going through everybody who was formational in my life. And he smiled and said, oh, it takes a village to spiritually direct my sister. And I said, yes, it does. And I, in fact, you are correct. I am that person who really has needed a village and I relish the villages I've had to help me through the years. Absolutely. Well, it's because you work so deeply with trauma, you have books on trauma. Tell us kind of like some of the misconceptions and myths about trauma, because I think a lot of people think when, when you know, we've, I've talked about this on the podcast previously, but not gone that deep into it. A lot of people, when I say, oh, you've had trauma, they're like, well, I was not raped. I was not sexually abused. I was not in a war. I, it, you know, I think people kind of think different, you know, that maybe tr- to, to, uh, to it for it to, uh, be considered trauma. It has to have certain things. So what 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 are some myths and misconceptions that you can kind of illuminate on for us about trauma? Happy to talk about this. One of my favorite things to talk about. Scary if, enough, me too. And this is why I know you and I are doing the right things. Yeah. If we're, <laughs> if we're really keeping it simple, because I shared in my story how I thought you had to have survived a war for it to count as as trauma, then that opens up the question, well, what's a war? Can it take on various shapes and various contexts. So you could look at the diagnostic codes for how you can quote unquote diagnose something like post-traumatic stress disorder or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yet at its most basic translation, the English word trauma comes from the Greek word meaning wound. And first of all, I just want to give a shout out to your podcast where you brought up Mr. Portakalis. Oh, the, the TED talk. Greek yeah, wedding. That was the TEDx because talk. everything yeah. derives from a Greek word. And when you said trauma, any word, any word. Yep. derives from a Greek word. And you brought up Mr. Portakalis, who basically is like our favorite family member that we don't actually have in real life. We love right. Mr. Portakalis. Right. We always make fun of that. Put the Windex yeah. on the cuts, you know, all the things. Put anyway, the Windex on the cuts. That's how he heals wounds. That's <laughs> so, right. So trauma simply comes from the Greek word meaning wound. And so my working definition of trauma in its most general sense is any unhealed human wound. So when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about wounds. So think about what you know about physical wounds. They come in all different shapes and sizes. They come in all different levels of severity. Yet all wounds need time and space to heal, and some need the assistance of professional care or treatment. 
a wound on one person can have a drastically different impact than that same wound on another person, especially if that other person, let's say, is immunocompromised or is not getting proper healing conditions or proper nutrition, that there's many different reasons why seemingly the same wound can hit two different people differently. So almost anything you need to know can be unpacked looking at this idea of trauma as wound and what we know about physical wounds and physical healing, and then just apply the metaphor over to mental wounds, uh, spiritual wounds, sexual wounds. And for a lot of us, these wounds can have an even greater degree of bite because they're not seen. They're not visible. A person, even though I want to be clear that there's a lot of discrimination against people with disabilities, physical disabilities, a person walking down the street with a cane or a cast is a lot more likely to get empathy and understanding or sympathy from people than somebody who has an unseen wound or illness. You're not really sick or you're what's you look like. You seem fine. Yeah. So, so there's, there's obviously layers and nuance to discuss. And and this whole idea of broadening the definition of trauma has really been popularized by a lot of trauma scholars. Most especially, I would want to credit Dr. Francine Shapiro, who developed EMDR therapy, which is a method of trauma therapy that I'm a trainer in and I practice. And she introduced it as this idea of large T and small T trauma, that some wounds will automatically get you a diagnosis or qualify you automatically for a diagnosis of PTSD. But that doesn't mean we should discount the small T's because if left untreated and if conditions are not great for healing, they could go on to be worse. So of course there's some backlash to this extended definition of trauma that I see on social media, like, oh, now everything's trauma. And we're just giving people excuses and we're, we're discounting the fact that not every problem in life results from trauma. I I tend to disagree. I think every problem in life, if it's not caused by trauma, it can at least be exacerbated by trauma. If we're looking at trauma as wounding, Mm -hmm. it always breaks my heart. Even when I see professionals on social media say things like, but now we're, we're not giving real trauma, the attention it's due. And I bristle whenever I hear people say real trauma. What do you mean by that? What they're meaning are events that could lead to a PTSD diagnosis. Yet trauma shows up in so many different diagnoses. Trauma doesn't even have to be clinically diagnosable for it to be valid as a wound that needs treated. And unfortunately, a lot of kids, like kids like I was growing up, other kids who are out there hear things like that. You know, real trauma, that's stuff abusers say. Like, you don't know how good you have it. There's people who have it so much worse than you. And so, well, that also comes from the stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about way of parenting. Right. You know, like that you, that whatever pain you're experiencing is just not enough pain to justify these tears or how you're, you're how you're actually reacting. Right. So it, right. It, that's, it's gaslighting. It's, it's judging, judging mm-hmm. somebody's pain. Right. So a hundred percent. That's my feeling on it. Is it true that everybody has trauma? I think if we're appreciating the broader definition of it, yeah, we've all experienced trauma at one point or another. A lot of us experience it and are able to heal it. And so it becomes not an issue. Yeah. When do you know you've healed the trauma? (laughs) It's because to me, you know, there will be times where I will heal something and I will feel like I'm not so triggered, right? By whatever it is. But then I'll get to a certain point in my life, I've evolved to another point. And then suddenly that like old wound, like a a core wound, something that really like was 
big in my life. It'll come up again as I go along, even though I've healed it to a certain extent because I'm expanding and I'm growing and I'm doing, and so it'll, it'll, to me, slice through it and sometimes touch it again. And there's a judgment we have. Don't you feel? I did that. I already healed that thing, Dr. Jamie. Why is that shit coming up for me again? Well, I, again, go back to the physical metaphor. Some wounds in that metaphor may never truly heal if we're defining healing as going back to quote unquote normal, going back to the way it should be. And even in the TEDx talk, I used the example of a friend, a professional colleague, friend of mine who was born with one leg. Healing for her is never going to mean getting that leg back. Some of us who experience a chronic injury, like I hurt my knees in sports when I was a teenager, I'm still dealing with the fallout from that. And I do things that help them improve here and there. I've lived a pretty full life in spite of it, but I'm aging is the reality. So I have to look now at my new body, my new condition. So there are some injuries, both emotional and physical that tend to have a little more of a chronic nature. And sometimes like with my knee, what's probably finally going to solve it is a, is a replacement is a surgery, but then I'll still have aftercare. I have to take care of with that. So I, I, I think our emotional healing can very much be like that. We heal as best as we can at the time with the resources that we have. Sometimes we can get what we might consider a complete resolution so that the things that bother us used to bother us very intensely don't bother us anymore. But sometimes life may happen and they bother us in a new way. And that's okay. Part of the nature of life, if we appreciate the trauma as wound definition, is that we're going to continue to get re-injured, re-aggravated. And what I would challenge folks to consider is now that you know what helps you to heal, can you continue to access it when you need it? Absolutely. And, you know, there's no shame in whatever's working is working. (laughs) <laughs> like I have friends who are like, well, I've just been, I've been with this person a long time. And I'm like, well, are you getting something out of it? Oh yeah. No, it's wonderful. So you want to stop it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, maybe lessen it or maybe like bring it down, you know, but it's funny. We just, we really want to give ourselves like a cutoff date, an expiration date of when we're just going to be fine. And we need to like, not, you know, I, I think of this as such a healing journey. You know, I never, I feel like there's always something that we're kind of working on or working towards, and that feels good to be working on it. It's not that it's like, oh, I have so many problems and I'm always working on it. It's more like this amazing exploration in this journey and I'm I'm growing and I'm expanding. And so things are going to come up and that's interesting and all that versus like the judgment that people have. They want to just like, they want to be done. You mm-hmm. know, they just want to get to the finish line. And part of what I, I want to recognize in that is, there is this human desire we have. We just want to feel better. Oh God. Yeah. And so some of it's driven by that, but I do think another big part of it is driven kind of by this Western expectation that you're no good unless you are a functional, fully productive member of society or that there are quick fixes out there for healing. And I consider myself as a therapy practitioner. I'm somebody who embraces of both methods of, yes, let's see what we can do to help bring you some immediate relief. And that's where I find EMDR very effective. But I also embrace this idea of slow medicine, which is a very ancient concept. Uh, One of my spiritual role models, St. Hildegard of Bingen, who was a healer and an expressive arts therapist in her own right, emphasized that importance of restoring the greening power in your life. And that takes time especially if you've let yourself dry out so badly. 
So I, I think both approaches can be useful. What can we do to help more of the, the bring you some short-term relief yeah. uh, or some immediate relief yet also realizing that that healing is, is a process. Yeah. Well, how can people work with you or get more involved with you? You've got a lot of resources, like of all the people's websites that I did a nice little swim around yours was the most fun swimming. I have to say, oh, thank you, you. a lot of things. So how can people kind of get sure. in with you? What's an easy way in? Sure. So because I don't have a lot of time to do individual one-on-one work anymore, I've tried to have a lot of my material available online, some of it on a complimentary basis, some of it paid courses that you can take. So the two places I'd recommend you start, redefinetherapy.com. That's the website that we set up for Dissociation Made Simple. You can get information there about the book, about some of the events connected to the book, all the interviews connected to the book. We'll post this one there as well. And that links you to all of my other websites. So you can always search my name.com, my calendars on there of appearances I'm making online and, and some in person. Institute for Creative Mindfulness.com is primarily my EMDR therapy training organization. So if you're a therapist and you kind of like the way I roll and you're interested in training in EMDR therapy or some of our advanced topics, that would be the site I'd recommend. Okay, great. Now, what if you're just an average Joe? Yeah. Or you're an average Liz who is a coach and an you're not a therapist, coach. but you're, you're, you're Dr. Jamie curious. So yeah, redefinetherapy.com. And one other site I didn't mention yet is traumamadesimple.com. Those uh, traumamadesimple.com is where I've put up a lot of my YouTube videos that people can access. And I've designed any YouTube content that I put out to be accessible to coaches, to therapists, to anybody who works in human services, that these are skills that you can blend in and use with your clients. And all these websites have contact forms. And if if you think there, there is a way I could possibly work with you or your group one-on-one or as a trainer, yeah, send us a message. And if we can't directly work with you, or if I can't, we'll try to point you in the direction of somebody who might be appropriate. Okay. Amazing. All right. It's on to the speed round, Dr. Jamie. Ooh, speed round. Ready for the game show, (laughs) the game show part of the program. I I love game shows. (laughs) Bob Barker nurtured me through my childhood days, right? Yeah. Oh, amazing. I love Bob. Um, span new to your pets. Okay. Um, so just fill in the blank. I am learning that. I am a work in progress or process. Yes. Aren't we all? Uh, when I feel lost, I turn to my friends. I love that. I am a woman who is learning not to take other people's shit. Nice. Any more on that? Oh, Who's that's kidding? been part of the work in progress. That's been part <laughs> of the work in progress. Because I think women often feel like, especially if we're kind or good-hearted or good-natured people, we, we can't say no or put our feet down. We have to put up with so much as women. And no, I'm I'm unlearning a lot of that cultural conditioning. I love that. Boundaries are gold. I love boundaries. I am proud of the fact that I have survived that I I often say I've survived my shelf life because I really believe I should have been dead many, 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 many years ago if I didn't start working on myself. Wow. That's really saying something. I always say, is there a Dr. Jamieism? 
Oh, there's, there's a lot. I know. I can only imagine there's a million. Now that, that I've asked, I'm, I, they're, they're kind of escaping me in the moment. I always say dissociation is not a dirty word. We'll circle back to that. Yeah. Cause I like that one. That yeah, is a really yeah. good one. Dissociation, <laughs> dissociation is not a dirty word. Dirty word. I'm really excited about. I'll be in Europe at some point later this summer. So I'm excited about that. Okay. You're doing some teaching there or some courses or something? A little bit of both. A little bit of both. Still ironing out my exact schedule, but yes. Awesome. Well, I will I will be thinking of you as you're traveling around Europe. And I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking to us about all the things, especially the things that we don't like to talk about, which is my favorite stuff. <laughs> well, it's my great pleasure. I appreciate the invitation and the thoughtful questions. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye now.